Dark as a Press Drive Track presents the Roman Classics. Today we're going to be talking about Ebony Eyes from the album Songs in the Key of Life, but of course also part of the EP from the end of that album. Released on September 28th, 1976. On the track we've got Stevie Wonder doing lead vocals, uh, piano, talk box and drums. Uh, we've got Sneaky Pete Kleinow on steel guitar again. Uh, we've got Nathan Watts on bass, as he has been on a number of these tracks on, on this particular double album. And then we've got Jim Horn, a man who I feel was destined to play saxophone. Uh, the track is 4 minutes 10, and joining me to talk about today is Eric Nash. Hello, Eric. Hey. So, yeah, uh, I it's, it's kind of interesting because I feel like this, this song is about a specific person. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stevie never says the name of that person, but he kind of hints at it in the first line of the song. Um, and what I like about this song in particular is the fact that it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like a honky-tonk ballad? Yeah, like, I definitely had honky-tonk, yeah. It, I mean, it's got, yeah, that, yeah. that piano style. And the kind of, the way it kind of hits the beats, it kind of, it, I don't know, it's, I, the way that he sings this, uh, I don't know, it's one of my favorite kind of like, um, deliveries uh, of like vocals from Stevie on this album, like just the way he kind of sings it. And he, obviously he's also kind of double tracking his voice and... Um, doing a little bit of harmony in there as well, uh, and there's a couple of there's a couple of saxophone solos, which is why obviously I mentioned um, uh, you know uh, Jim Horn because Stevie calls out the saxophone. <laughs> he says, you know, he literally says saxophone here, and then there's a saxophone solo uh, over the top of him using the talk box, and the talk box is very very prominent on this track. Like there's um, almost kind of like a like when he does the chorus like the second and third times he just exclusively does it through like the tour yeah. box, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, now I would say in terms of like who the song is about, uh, I feel most people uh, would say Diana Ross. Uh, the the person whose YouTube video I watched um, to kind of listen to this song. Uh, had done like a little slideshow of Diana Ross, <laughs> so he he thought it was about mm-hmm. Diana Ross, um, and it obviously it opens up with she's a Miss Beautiful Supreme, and so you know uh, it it feels like Diana Ross was was clearly like intended to be the subject of the song, um, you know, and Diana Ross is an easy name to rhyme, so I don't know why he didn't <laughs> just at any point say, you know, this is about Diana Ross, but you know he obviously wanted to keep it a little bit more mysterious. Um, but uh, you know, I, it's it's funny because obviously you know at, at that particular point in the seventies, I think Diana Ross was, um, you know, uh, kind of at the height of her powers as well. You know, like Stevie Wonder. You know, obviously, um, you know, had had many many hits throughout the seventies, and Diana Ross was kind of was in the same position. You know, mm-hmm. she she had, um, you know, a, a, a number ones at the start of the decade, and then throughout the seventies, she had a number of. Um, you know extremely acclaimed albums she did like a number of tours she had you know an evening with diana ross which was like a a, you know a huge tour she had like a two-week stint um at the palace theater uh she won you know she had an emmy nominated tv special she you know she did all these kind of duets she won a tony award um you know yeah so she she basically spent the decade kind of um you know at the same kind of like level as um you know as, as stevie uh, and also, uh, you know, kind of just after this point in time, you know, the, the kind of first album that she did of the 80s, uh, which was produced by uh, Niall Rogers and uh, Bernard Edwards, obviously of Chic, um, it only had, uh, you know, eight songs on it. Um, and, you know, one of those was Upside Down, obviously, you know, a huge hit. And I'm Coming Out, mm. um, you know. And the, the version of I'm Coming Out, which I always like to listen to, is the kind of Chic mix, which is like seven minutes long and it's got like a ton of like 
extra intro stuff. Um, and you really kind of, you understand why, you know, those two guys were such good producers um, just from that track. But, you know, th- like kind of this is this is kind of, you know, like she's she's at the height of her powers. Stevie's at the height of her powers. It's nice that Stevie's kind of paying tribute to her, um, you know, in this song. Of course, he could be talking about one of the other Supremes. Yeah. And that's yeah. And, and, and the stuff you sent me. Um, yeah, that that information definitely. You know, I I. I, I didn't have a, a big clue that it, that he was talking about Dan Ross, but I see that in the stuff you sent me. But then it goes into the possibility of one of the others that that I, apparently had been kicked out. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like obviously Diana Ross. Uh, if I remember correctly, she was with Barry Gordy at one point. Oh. Um, you know, head of Motown. Um, and apparently, uh, this kind of, and she, like she had a close relationship with Barry Gordy and this meant that she was able to kind of, um, push herself to the front of the Supremes and a couple of the other people who were in the Supremes, um, you know, like, uh, I, I mean, there's been so many of them. So, <laughs> so, um, but in particular, I think Mary Wilson and, uh, is it Cindy Birdsong? I think they were kind of. They were two of the original members. Uh, there was a few actually before that um, who'd all kind of left the group by the the time it got big anyway in the kind of mid-60s. Um, and certainly they weren't there in the early 70s. Um, and so by the time it got to the early 70s, you know, the other kind of Diana Ross herself had basically moved on and was, you know, like a, a yeah. solo artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a, in effect, she was no longer kind of with the Supremes. Uh, but some of the other Supremes before she left had been kind of annoyed at the fact um, that Diana Ross was the one who got all the kind of, um, you know, the headlines yeah. and all the kind of the, you know, the, the kind of all the publicity. Um, and then obviously, you know, at a certain point, um, I think in the late 60s, it became Diana Ross and the Supremes. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, more than more than ever, it was kind of it was, uh, you know, it was it was the joke that appears in Almost Famous where, you know, everybody else is just a blur behind yeah. the lead singer. Um, and and I think, you know, that was something that caused a lot of tension. The Supremes, obviously, after Diana Ross left, they continued, you know, all the way up until the end of the 70s, um, you know, releasing, you know, albums, you know, and, and even a couple of times after Diana Ross left that, you know, that Mary Wilson was kind of the one who stayed uh, the longest yeah. and then kind of added other people in there um cindy bird song like left and returned and you know so there were a few other supremes that came in after um but yeah the, you know the, the group was built around diana ross you know obviously the fact that it's diana ross and the supremes like you know uh-huh. that's generally who it's it's thought of when you when you think of the supremes i don't think you think of the other members um you know although there's, there's some argument to be made that they are at least as good as diana yeah. ross was you know there's something to be there's something to be said for people who can stand next to someone like diana ross and do the harmonies and make her sound good. Well, you know, that's yeah. that's not an easy task to do. Yeah, and definitely Mary Wilson is the one name that I've definitely have I I, I, I very much recognize. I I'm sure I've heard a couple of those others, but um, but um, but then uh, looking looking at the article that, like I said, uh, Florence Ballard apparently is the person that some people think there might there, there's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a compelling theory as it's said in the article. Yeah, I mean, I get. Um, and apparently, she she passed away right around the time of this coming out february 76 yeah yeah which i which i I think would also kind of make the case for it this being about her rather than diana ross but then obviously you know 
just from that opening line, I think most people would associate the Supremes with Diana Ross before anybody else. So maybe that's why a lot of people kind of jump to that. But I would say at the same time, this is Stevie celebrating black beauty, which is something that, you know, yeah. in the in the 70s, obviously, it was mm-hmm. something that, you know, through kind of like black exploitation films and, you know, the rise of like mm-hmm. certain kind of like girl groups and, you know, certain soul groups. And, you know, obviously the, the start of Soul Train and all that, like there was a kind of an emerging black culture. And, and I think the fact that Stevie Wonder is here kind of maybe not you know maybe it's diana ross maybe it's not but like the kind of the way he talks about it you know like about being raised on ghetto streets and you know a devastating beauty and then of course the kappa you know in the chorus which is a pretty girl with ebony eyes like you know the idea of celebrating black beauty is something that i think stevie wonder um you know he's he's done it in a few songs before this but you know it's always it's always nice when he kind of um you know uh, is able to kind of talk about black culture um, you know, and that, and it's something as well that you know it should be noted during the seventies. Obviously, particularly with the albums that you know came out before this, you know the albums that are considered part of the, the kind of classic run. Um, you know, the iconography and everything was very much um, you know black iconography that Stevie used. You know, like and uh, mm-hmm. kind of the dress that he adopted during this time was you know obviously a bit more kind of associated with like African dress and you know so obviously he kind of embraced his African roots and it's nice that he kind of. Um, you know, would also in certain songs kind of talk about this kind of thing and just calling it just the title Ebony Eyes. Like that's obviously that's, you know, a marker. That's something that, it, you know, it, it kind of definitely applies to a certain kind of group of people. Um, so, you know, it's nice to hear kind of Stevie sing about that. Um, but of course, you know, I, I also like that, you know, when he opens up after saying, you know, she's a, a, a Miss Beautiful Supreme, a girl that others wish they could be, which, you know, again, I guess that's one of the reasons why people think it's Diana Ross is because, you know, you want to be the, the featured player rather than the kind of the, the mm-hmm. background singers. Uh, if the seven wonders of the world, then I know she's got to be number one again. You know, like, I, I mean, I just like yeah, the way he's 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 praising her. And it's not just based on, um, you know, uh, looks or anything or it's it's kind of something that's more than more than just that. It's, you know, it's about everything. Yeah. You know, it's the, not just the diva nature. Yeah, things of of of, of the the mostly women of the uh, of the nineteen seventies, but certainly after it became bigger and bigger. I think too. Yeah, um, and then of course in the chorus, you know, she's a girl that can't be beat, born and raised on ghetto streets. She's a devastating beauty, a pretty girl with ebony eyes. Um, you know, uh, and then <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I always like when Stevie attempts kind of like metaphors and stuff because I feel they sometimes get away from him. But this like she's the sunflower of nature's seeds, and I'm like, okay, Stevie, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'll go with you. Uh, a girl that some men find only in their dreams, because when she smiles, it seems the stars all know, because one by one they start to light up the sky, and it's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that's a nice, uh, that's a nice sentiment. Um, and I, I, I kind of like this the stars stuff, you know. Kind of yeah. is is fitting into something of a little bit of a theme, a little bit of a callback to some of the at least a couple of the previous songs um, on this album. Uh, well, in particular, I think another star, um, which yeah, obviously right. a fantastic eight and a half minute disco song. Um, and then of course, um, when he does the chorus again, he goes a pretty girl with ebony eyes, and then he says, "I love you, baby," which I just love the kind of the little added exclamation. And then of course, that's when he says saxophone right here. Um, and that's when we get, um, you know, a, I mean, a really nice, like, uh, kind of solo from Jim Horn, um, you know, uh, like, and underneath that, that's when Stevie starts using his talk box to sing the the, the kind of chorus again. Um, now, 
you know, there are some people who obviously use the talk box quite a lot. I mean, Stevie during the 70s, he didn't use it a huge amount, but there's a couple of tracks on this album that he's already used it on. And he's never really kind of used it for this extended time, like to sing like a whole chorus using the talk box. Um, and it is kind of like a very kind of 70s effect uh that mm-hmm. that he's kind of using obviously peter frampton well known for using the talk box um so so but uh, but not quite in the way either though i mean this is it's a no. it's a pretty it's it's kind of a, it it i kind of i kind of want to use the use the term corny you know it's <laughs> it's certainly got this this uh almost childish nature to it you know i mean he, and maybe what 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 that could be um is he's trying to elevate her even more you know i'm you know to me i mean you're you're such a woman <laughs> that i feel childish <laughs> just thinking about this and writing this song and performing it too yeah yeah i mean yeah. if you i mean if you watch some interviews that he did in the 70s there's a few times where he would take the talk box to interviews and he'd be sitting at his piano having like interviews with you know various talk show hosts and he would use the talk box like as just like to kind of show people how it worked and obviously it's always mm-hmm. like when you when you hear it being played with nothing underneath it's always it's kind of an, an amusing effect uh, to to hear someone just talking normally but then it being kind of um, you know almost auto-tuned on the spot basically um, yeah. which is kind of how it works <laughs> uh, although obviously if you if you have like a, a certain level of you know, melody, what that you're singing, then obviously it just enhances it. Um, and we get the third and final verse, uh, when she starts singing soft and sweet, like the birds of spring, her words all seem to sing with a rhythm that is made of love uh, and the happiness that only, sh- sorry, that she only brings. Um, and then we kind of go into the chorus again um, before we get to the uh, saxophone where, you know, he brings it back in, saying saxophone one more time. Um, and then we have, of course, one more talk box chorus before we get to the outro, uh, where, you know, Stevie does that great thing of just kind of singing to the rhythm, but with some yeah, yeah, yeahs. Um, and he actually says pretty black beauty. That's so he actually says that in the song. Um, and then, you know, he says, she's a devastating beauty, a pretty girl with ebony eyes. And then obviously as we get to the outro, we kind of get this little, um, you know, the repetition of ebony eyes against the kind of beat. Um, and you know, that's where the song finishes um but yeah so you know i what i like about it is is kind of its simplicity you know like it is just about you know it's just stevie wonder trying to elevate you know um maybe maybe not just this one particular woman um but maybe all black women you know and and just kind of say that they're all beautiful and you know that's that's something obviously i can get behind um and and back to the that playful nature there are like three other songs i really popped to my head and actually i'm gonna i'll cheat on the last one even but um the the first one uh the beatles you know my name look up the number yes yeah now even though that you know this definitely has a lot better lyrics <laughs> than that <laughs> i mean it's it, the lyrics in that are, are just that title repeated practically with with some uh ad-libbing uh spoken parts but um but then uh smashing pumpkins uh we only come out at night and maybe even a couple others that are around that time frame too um on that album uh melancholy um and then finally <laughs> I typed I typed in my notes most anything, but actually there's 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 a good chunk. But I I, I want to say it's it's most anything. You kind of when when you say that this band's name, you kind of might immediately go to at least I, I immediately go to almost um, Ween, um, and some okay. of their more 
almost, you know, not exactly kid-friendly, because Ocean Man definitely doesn't not quite sound anything like this, but um, but some of their other things, uh, especially on that album, The Mollusk. Yeah, no, I could, got, I could uh, hear that, yeah. Yeah, they, they got some playful, na- playful nature kind of songs that are kind of goofy a little bit, corny, and... Yeah, and the thing and I always feel, sounds. I mean, the thing I always feel with Ween is um, there's a, a, a layer of cleverness that means they almost they almost always feel detached from the song. Okay, yeah. Um, like, it always feels like, I mean, they're kind of masterful at doing different genres. Um, oh, yeah. But, but it feels like if they're doing a ballad, they don't really mean any of the sentiment in the ballad. They just want to show <laughs> how they, they can write a ballad. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a level of detachment, whereas I th- I feel with Stevie Wonder, there's a certain level of earnestness in everything that he does, and so whenever he sings anything, he always means it. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I, you know, I can I can understand the kind of technical proficiency of Ween. You know, there's a lot of their songs that I really love, um, but I always feel there's a just a tiny bit of a detachment, um, almost as if they're kind of turning to the listener and saying, "Listen, listen, how clever we are that we can do these different types yeah. of songs." And whereas with Stevie Wonder, you know, he obviously wants to do like a, you know a thoughtful kind of honky tonk ballad, and he really mm-hmm. is trying to kind of you know express his thoughts about you know whoever this um, you know this kind of beautiful supreme is like, and and he's 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 always kind of one hundred percent like behind whatever sentiment he's expressing, even if that yeah. is oh, yeah. something as kind of outlandish as you know, let's go and live on Saturn. You know, like he he always feels like he's one hundred percent means what he's saying. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I would say also that earnestness is also there with Smashing Pumpkins as well. I would say Billy Corgan. Um, you know, even though he's kind of, you know, in the middle of kind of like the ironic nineties, I, I feel like there is a kind of earnestness that, um, you know, that some of the Smashing Pumpkin stuff has that is kind of I would understand is Stevie Wonder, and at the same time I can understand uh, the You Know My Name, which interestingly I was listening to earlier. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, completely by accident, I was just listening to stuff, yeah. um, you know, and like that came up on like a playlist and I just listened to it and I was like, oh, yeah, this is literally the silliest song ever written. But, you know, <laughs> the Beatles could, were, were kind of the same as Stevie Wonder. They could get away with whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I would say for me, uh, you know, an easy five out of five. I mean, uh, you know, th- th- this is obviously this is obviously a very kind of earnest song. Stevie's obviously trying to elevate um, you know, uh, black women and, and, and kind of, you know, get across how he feels about, you know, them or maybe one particular one. Um, yeah. But, I you know, I really kind of, I just like what he does. And also, you know, I feel like Sneaky Pete's steel guitar, which is only on a few <laughs> tracks on this album, but when he, when he brings it in, I feel like it, you know, it really sells, you know, the kind of honky-tonk feel. Um, and also as a saxophonist myself, I'm, you know, I'll always have a weak spot for Stevie basically <laughs> calling out the saxophonist to do two solos <laughs> while he goes off on the talk box. So I, I feel it all. And, and I mean, you know, a lot of the elements of this are kind of very like it's one of the few songs I would say on this album that feels just a little bit dated. Obviously, I would say Another Star also feels a bit dated. And there's a couple, there's maybe a couple of other songs that feel very kind of 70s ish. And I, I just don't think people would do honky tonk today. So this, this kind of, I think this feels just a little bit dated, um, but still, you know, a five out of five from me. Would have been more on the four, but I'll, I'll bump with, after after you're kind of convincing me. You know, I, I, I definitely push up to the four point five. I mean, it's 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 just like a nice. I mean, effectively, yeah. this is the the, you know, <laughs> like this is the the second. This is the second song of this little EP. Um, and I feel like the four songs mm-hmm. on here have a slightly different feel to the kind of the rest of the stuff that's on songs in the key of life. They feel a bit, uh, a bit less kind of big. 
Um, you know, obviously, Songs in the Key of Life was mm-hmm. was about lots of big themes, and there's lots of kind of bigger songs on there. And you know, whereas these these last kind of four songs feel a little bit more intimate, and you know, that's it. Just it kind of feels like it is slightly different to what's been going on. Um, you know, on the rest of the album. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, these you know, a nice nice four <laughs> bonus tracks at the end of an album that's already got seventeen tracks. Um, you know, Stevie kind of spoiling us. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything else that needs to be said about uh, Ebony Eyes? Uh, I think I, I cover everything I was thinking. Great stuff. Well, then yeah. let's go to plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Eric? Uh, yeah, uh, got uh, a similar similar show to this. It uh, feels like Weezer. I'm uh, doing that with Zach Frecking Smith. And uh, it's going through all of, all of Weezer's catalog chronologically. Uh, and we even hit the singles that come out before, whenever they happen to come out prior to an album's release. We'll, we'll, we certainly hit those first. And even also then also do a little uh, extra episodes at the end of albums where uh, we go into the uh, uh, deluxe deluxe issue, you know, and outtakes uh, some extra songs, just covered in one one episode real quick. But um, but we're we're in the middle of uh, getting close to the end of uh, Green actually Green album third in, and we we're going all the way to at this point Van Halen or Van not Van Halen Van Weezer. And then the other show, uh, big show that uh, I'm in the middle of, is Almost Famous Minute. And that's uh, one of those Movies by Minutes shows that uh, Darren is a little familiar with. <laughs> and and also I had my previous one, uh, Watchmen Minute. We just uh, finished uh, covering the HBO show uh, one episode at a time under that guise. I mean, they're keeping you busy, aren't they? Let's put it like that. Um, So, I mean, I assume you're... Those crazy people. (laughs) Supervisors. Yeah, I assume you'll return to that if there's a a season two of Watchmen. Oh, yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, Yeah, but it it doesn't doesn't seem likely, but, you know, it's possible. Well, I I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen the finale of the show, but (laughs) if there is a second season... Well, it just does a great wrapping up. It stuck a landing with its uh, final episode, where whereas with previous with some of previous uh, Lindelof's previous stuff, <laughs> it was questionable. But um, yeah, um, and where can we find you on social media for that? Yeah, um, just you know, of course you can just Google those things and, and find find stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, me personally, uh, certainly I have an at Lucky Mustard uh, on Twitter and just at ing for um, Instagram. And uh, you know, on Facebook, I, I am known as Eric Jack Nash. If you should find me there. And for this project, you can find us on Twitter f- at Stevie Bywood. Uh, thanks for being my guest here today. Oh, you're